Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And the reason that Tim's not here tonight, and he's over at his place, is because Snowmageddon has hit here in the Kansas City area. And I believe we're right now sitting, I think, what, eight inches of snow on the ground right now? It's it's wide outside. Um, As someone who drove professionally for a living for let's see the pizza years the the medical uh the pathology career years um uh, well over a decade you know what i didn't do today you drive anywhere you didn't drive anywhere nope, yep. not a single place i didn't walk anywhere <laughs> i didn't drive anywhere i stayed inside it was beautiful that's uh that's kind of my day uh i didn't i didn't go anywhere either it was just you know it's there's just not Enough money in the world to justify well, that kind of thing. Having having uh, uh, driven in this kind of weather all the time professionally, um, my uh, my sympathies and my support go out to any of you out there who do drive a lot for work and have to deal with this kind of weather. I feel your pain. Trust me, I was there, and I hope you guys are uh, uh, as safe as you can be. Yes. Um, speaking of uh, all the money in the world, uh, we have a store. I'm going to uh, I'm going to show it off here in a second. I've got to look at that screen instead. We have a store. This is a brand new store, zazzle.com slash store slash sci-fi for me. And we have three mugs and a brand new rock concert tour t-shirt. Uh, this is uh, in celebration of our... 10th anniversary, and this has all of the different events from which we broadcast a, a live show of some sort. So you can see on there, all kind of DFW, we were out, out there, uh, NACACon, Chicago Comic Entertainment Expo, Planet Comic Con, Wizard World. There's there's different ones there, so uh, you can check that out. And then, of course, we've got our mugs and... Uh, and if you want to be a regular supporter of the channel, we've got a Subscribestar account. Over there, you can uh, pledge your monthly support. And then, of course, we've got the Sci-Fi For Me 10 discount code over at SuperheroStuff.com. So, for Christmas, you can buy stuff. You can buy swag and, and, and send it to people you think like science fiction. Right? Right. Sure. Give, give the gift of speculative fiction <clears throat> to the ones you love. They will thank you for it. Hello, Robert, in the chat. And yes, we are live. Hello. We are live. And so uh, the, live, uh, the live chat is on and the super chats are enabled and give us all the monies. So here we go. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, okay. So um, my lighting is not... Great, I know, but there we go. All right. I put a lot more color than I do. Um, the my my apartment is 
my apartment is basically a box. It's a, it's, like, it's a series of like three boxes all like stuck next to each other. So the living room is a box, the bedroom is a box, the kitchen is a box. Uh, all three of them are roughly square. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there is a 100-watt bulb in, um, I mean, and even so, I've got this other lamp that I turn on here when I'm doing anything involving recording with the computer because otherwise it's just, I'm, I'm very, very dark. Right. And unfortunately, it's now there's the middle ground. There really isn't much. So it's basically <laughs> either I'm washed out and very pale um, and or I'm extremely in shadow. So my apologies for looking a little like I'm a little, you know, I've been out in the cold for a while. I'm, I'm actually quite comfy. It's very nice and warm. I got on the, you know, the big, thick sweater. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm OK, but it's, I look a little pale and, and possibly about to expire. Vampirish. Yeah vampirish a little bit so waha right or actually there should be ho ho <laughs> um because what is our topic this evening our topic this evening mm-hmm. is crazy drivers who don't know how to deal with the snow no it's um or or, or, or untitled living in kansas city living in kansas city Reindeer. Um, <clears throat> Robert, uh, in the chat, um, the comic, uh, the book that I reviewed last night, it's from IDW, so you can probably get it pretty much any comic book store. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it. So um, it is. For those who are wondering, I will I will show this here. It is called Sons of Chaos. It is by uh, Chris James, who is from Party of Five, and he is a, a, a fictionalized account. It is a, a retelling. Of the Greek War for Independence in the early 1820s, when they uh, seceded from the Ottoman Empire, uh, so it's a it's a it's a very interesting book, very good art, very reminiscent of Frank Miller, early Frank Miller, 300 and Dark Knight Rises and such. So uh, I'm sure that you can find it if if they don't have it at your local comic shop, they can order it. It is uh, from IDW Publishing, Jan- uh, July of 2019. Um, so yeah, Christmas is right around the corner. Ho ho ho! Ho ho ho! Uh, did you see there is a Star Wars meme going around? It's a it's a, a stormtrooper leaning up against the wall, and it says, "Now I have a blaster." Ho ho ho! <laughs> have you seen that no, one? But I, uh, that sounds that's it's very appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So and and um, to kick things off, <clears throat> you know the the this season there is always that discussion of whether or not. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. The and of course, is- yes. It's also a genre movie. And and the way that we figured this out, Mindy and I were talking about it one night, and we figured out that if you 
take into account that John McClane has done everything in this movie barefoot, unprepared, making it up as he goes, surviving explosions and gunshots and falling from a skyscraper and all of these different things, right? He must have superhuman abilities. Well, it's it's actually a sequel to Unbreakable. It's just that when they fictionalized the accounts of his life, they told the stories out of order in, in the, you know, when they made the movie versions. So you got the origin story, which actually shows him as an older man. But what really happened, he was younger and as he was older, he became a cop, moved out to L.A., and so, yeah, that's, that's a secret history there. That works, too. But not only that, <clears throat> but I have figured out uh, that uh, Die Hard, there's a character in Die Hard who serves as a multiverse nexus point. Hans Gruber. Al Powell. Yes, that's very true. Because Al Powell not only was at the Nakatomi Plaza during the Christmas invasion, but was also in New York during the Gozer invasion. That's true. And he was also serving on the police force there for, for uh, New, York, New York City. And then, of course, you know, we have him uh, showing up in, a, in the Christmas episode of the second season of Chuck over on NBC. Also, right. Al Powell, the same character, uh, eating his Twinkies. I mean, twi- I mean even the Twinkie goes everywhere. Remember? The because they're, they're talking about the Twinkie on, on Ghostbusters. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think Al Powell is a, is a multiverse character. And Either so that, that or it's all set in the same universe. That could be, too. I mean, because I could see Chuck and work. Die Hard existing in the same universe without any trouble. Yeah. Now, I've always maintained taking the from the uh, Philip Jose uh, Farmer School of Things... <laughs> That Hans Gruber is actually a descendant of the Sheriff of Nottingham. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, the <clears throat> one of his English cousins um, went on to develop abilities that are generally not discussed among the family and became an instructor at a, at a, <laughs> a, a university. Very, very posh. There are uh, people who are saying that that uh, that's I guess that's the new thing there that Die Hard is a Harry Potter film because you have your lead character running through a tower trying to avoid Snape. Pretty much, and um, although uh, my one of the easiest ways to look at Die Hard as a genre film is the fact that nobody can put up with the actual amount of punishment that. John McClane puts up with, like to point out. Right. So it's either he's got superhero, uh, superhuman strength, or it's a fantasy movie. And, you know, either one plays out completely well. Well, and superheroes are fantasy in some oh, ways. Yeah. I mean, depending, depending on who the character is. Now, Superman being an alien, that's science fiction. Um, somebody like uh, a Batman, for example since he doesn't have powers, but he's really, really, really smart and, and you know, can take all this punishment, I think that would probably fit into the the, fantas- the fantastic well, mode more than anything else. Technically, Batman would be a science hero. 
I can see that. Uh, yeah. Because, of course, the majority of his abilities come from not only is he a great detective, but it's the technology that enables him to do the job, including the suit, which, while, you know, is often drawn, was, well, uh, fairly recently, it's become more of a suit of armor in the comics. It's been designed to look more like it's a protective garment as opposed to the traditional spandex kind of thing, which makes a little more sense with your, you know not super powered now wonder woman would of course be a fantasy character thor right. would be a fantasy character um you know tony stark would be a science hero sure um, although and, with with batman i mean the the conceit has been and and frank miller even even addressed it in the dark knight returns the fact that he's got this big emblem on his chest he's got kevlar underneath the spandex so right. even if it's not totally body armor which i think was introduced in the tim burton film uh you still have the protective measures that are under the suit so even sure. even without the body armor aspect it still works in the science area yeah so yeah now um batman returns uh the second of the tim burton batman films mm. is a christmas movie by the way yes it is uh and it's actually my favorite of the of the 90s, early, um, well, I guess it would be the 90s. It'd all be in the 90s of uh, the Batman films. As much as I love Tim Burton's first Batman, um, Batman Returns is such a weird movie. I mean, it has got so many, I mean, the, the Catwoman and, and the Penguin and just that whole, you know, Max Schreck, uh, of course, named after, uh, you know, the actor who played Nosferatu in the classic silent film. Um, it's it's a wonderfully bizarre movie. Um, and visually, it's gorgeous. From a production design, it's a beautiful movie. Um, creepy and very, I mean, it's a very oh, yeah. sinister yeah. film. Um, but I just, it's of, of the, that period of superhero films, Batman Returns is probably my favorite of, of that. The, the 90s, and of course, you know, what you had to choose from in the 90s for superhero films was... Um, Not a lot. Yeah, but so, you know, limited choice, but that's my favorite one of them. I well, mean, and, and of course, we've got Batman and Robin, which is a giant toy commercial for Christmas. Yes, So yes, that maybe counts, too, I guess. Well, it's, it's a Christmas... It's the commercialization of Christmas poster child. Yes, uh, of Christmas films. Now, now, one of the things that you, when you and I were talking about this before, there's so many different things you can talk about. It's not just movies. Of course, obviously, movies are the big thing. But there's short, Christmas short stories. There's Christmas novels, um, Christmas TV shows. One of the things that you, you, you know, there's some, it, whether you are a believer or not, there's something out there in the genre field around the Christmas season that touches on that. So, I mean, it's, it's, we're not just talking about things that are just like, it's set at Christmas. Um, there's certainly some of that stuff, but there's also stuff that's actually about, you know, that, that does have the religious aspects in, in science fiction and fantasy. Um, that, so if, if that's something that you want this holiday season, it's out there for you. Um, some of it is, uh, you know, there, and again, even within the religious range, um, there's a range of, you know, positive to negative. So, I mean, you're, there's something for the genre fan, whatever you believe, whatever you celebrate. You know, yeah. Christmas is, you know, leaving aside Christmas as a religious holiday or as a commercial holiday. In the middle, you have this whole 
cultural thing that the U.S. certainly has, which is this is a season of celebration, a season of family and all this sort of stuff. So so no matter what your beliefs are, whether you're whether you're Christian or not or, or a believer of any kind, um, there's something in the genre field for you. So, you know, don't uh, you know, if you're if you think, oh, Christmas episode and tuned right out because, you know, maybe you're re- you're in the retail world and Christmas is a is a period of not great joy for you. <laughs> Folks, if you're going out shopping anytime between now and January 4th at least, be nice to everyone, especially the people that are working retail. They are under a great deal of stress. And uh, uh, Robert, Robert mentions in the chat, says, um, oh, it's uh, John McClain's children must have a lot of issues dealing with Christmas stress. I have to wonder no, if retail is even more stressful because the the the, I mean, the 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 crazy people come out. Well, and I managed. I was you know I was a bookstore manager for yeah. a decade with the border with Borders Books, and of course, obviously, there were a lot of Christmases in there, mm. um, and a lot. Of course, I was doing this in the you know uh, from what ninety five to two thousand and five. So, you guess what came out between ninety five and two thousand and five? Uh, the entire Harry, po- Harry Potter run, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, all, all, there were a huge number of titles that were coming out a lot of times around the holidays. So yeah, it was, I, I still flinch at most Christmas music. <laughs> it still gives me this sort of twitchy thing. Um, and <clears throat> I had been accused of being a bit of a Grinch around the holidays and it's all my retail experiences fault. <laughs> I'm just, it's, I, I, I've been letting, I've been releasing some of the pain over time, but I'm, you know, I figure another couple of decades, I'll probably be okay. I I can I can totally sympathize. I am somewhat of a Grinch myself in in but certain you do that aspects. Year round. <laughs> I know I am that way all the time. <laughs> Although I have to say, in my defense, I I've got to I've got to brag on myself a little bit. I sent an email out to staff today. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> By the way, check your email. Um, I sent an email out to staff today. And actually, in that email, I even said that I'm looking forward to 2020. I'm looking forward to what we're going to be doing here. And that is quite a bit different from my usual refrain about this time of year when I'm looking at everything that we're doing and thinking, okay, well, where's the audience and why aren't we getting anything happening here so. you realize that every one of us who got that email does not know how to respond to that yeah, i know i haven't gotten very many responses back everybody's trying we, to figure it out it, we it's think like, it might be someone spoofing your account <laughs> it could be who are you and what have you done with boss yeah. exactly uh-huh um yeah but uh anyway um folks by the way um however you're celebrating this holiday season we hope you have a great one yes uh, let's, let's say that right off the bat um whether you are alone or with family, um, you know, whether you're traveling, whether you're, you're, you know, get to enjoy a night in, whatever it is you guys are doing, whatever your religious beliefs or, or anything along those lines, um, this is supposed to be a season of fun and, and happiness and joy and at least companionship of some kind. Um, Unless you're celebrating Festivus, and then not so much. Well, it depends on what you get joy out of. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> because some of the stuff, some of the stories, uh, 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 one of my favorite Christmas films is Rare Exports. 
Um, and for those of you who have not uh, seen Rare Exports, go get this film. You can go buy the DVD and Blu-ray and find it online, get a digital download. Um, it's basically Santa Claus is a horror movie. And it's the story of a young boy who discovers that there's something buried in the mountain nearby. And it turns out that it's the entity that sent the, the, the myth of Santa Claus is based upon. Um, but there's a reason you bury uh, entities in mountains, and it's not because they're benevolent. Uh, <laughs> and it's a heartwarming story of Christmas terror. And it's really funny, and it's very well done. And it's also fairly sweet, because it's a story of a bonding of a, a boy and his father. Um, and it is one of those movies... I, I gave this gift, film as a gift to... Um, my father and my brother, both of whom love the thing, uh, because it is just one of those movies that it just flew under American audience radar. Um, it's a Norwegian film, I believe. Yeah, I've never uh, heard of it. And it's really, really funny. Um, but not in a here's the joke thing. It's more of the ridiculous of the situation. Sure. Everyone in the film plays it very, very seriously. Um, and if you go to YouTube, you can find the short films that the feature was inspired by starring the same cast um go to go to youtube and type in rare exports and um basically the 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 youtube videos you'll see how every year the hunters of this you know the, this this it's a tradition that these hunters go out into the woods and they capture a santa claus and they bring it back and they train it to be basically a mall santa <laughs> okay and it's it's uh, I mean it's you know the, because the, the the Santa Claus in its traditional uh, environment is a cannibalistic monster, so you had to teach it not to eat the children. Ah. Um, so and, so it's basically kind of a, 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 a an amalgamation of the traditional Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas, and Krampus. Pretty much, pretty much. Oh, okay. uh, but but unlike the Krampus movies, Rare Export is good. <laughs> we actually ran a, a review of the first Krampus movie. Maya had written it. Um, and she said it was all right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, the, you can watch the it. First, the first Krampus film, I think, the one that, that a lot of people think of when they think of any of the films, the Krampus films, um, was a, a middling holiday horror movie. Yeah. There's been a whole bunch of other Krampus movies that people sat there and went, ooh, I want some of that uh, sweet, evil Christmas money. Or something. Did um, you see? Did you see the footage? And I don't remember where it was. Where was this? The there was a apparently there was a Krampus parade <laughs> somewhere in was it in Europe? <laughs> where, let's look at that. It was a Krampus parade, and it actually turned violent. There were people that were actually uh, provoking or whatever. But the footage shows these Krampus, these people dressed up as Krampus beating civilians along the route and it turned into a very very terrible thing this sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy it does doesn't it uh, robert says iceland has a christmas troll mother who eats disobedient children her story was even outlawed by the danish for a century and he's got a well, story here about his father stressing out at Christmas because something about the Russians confiscating his home in Berlin during World War II. 
that I, can see I think how that could yeah yeah that could that could cause some some issues I'm sure that kind of trumps my borders uh, uh, experiences I will say I'll uh, I'll I'll seed the ground there uh, willingly um, yeah yeah I um, um uh, some of the Krampus you know the whole idea there is that there's another set of myths about Christmas and and a lot of different cultures have their different you know, uh, holiday celebrations. And a lot of times there are dark sides to those stories. Yeah. Um, and if you look at some of the early St. Nicholas stories, um, very few of them involve a jolly old elf. Uh, in fact, it wasn't until, God, was it really, I think it was the, was it, it was the late 1900s or early two, uh, uh, no, early 1900s, late 1800s, where St. Nicholas became sort of this, Mm. benevolent figure there was a lot more there was a lot darker uh, uh, associations with with Santa Claus because the giving of the coal was right you know, uh, you know, he hadn't had his Coca-Cola yet exactly and in fact as I, as, as I the more I think about it the more I remember a lot of what we think of in terms of the modern image of Santa Claus came about actually because of the advertising industry yeah uh, and less because of here's the the myth and folklore of Saint Nicholas. It's more well, like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer was created by what Montgomery Ward. So. Yeah, it was a it was a hey we want we want something to sell. Right here's right. a reindeer with a glowing red nose. Sure, but this stuff right. you know and we we you know this <coughs> like a lot of genre things it ends up getting buried into the cult, cultural consciousness yeah. and it becomes part of what we expect from you know the the modern myth cycle whether it's you know superheroes or star trek or star wars or anything like that we built up into this the storytelling thing that we do um a lot of the christmas things have ended up that way as well the um one of the earliest christmas stories of course that people think of with the holidays is clearly a fantasy novel and it's a Christmas Carol. Yeah. Um, and there've been a lot of different spins on that. Uh, the the great Christmas movie Scrooged, uh, which is very much a fantasy film. I mean, if you yeah. if, even if even if you weren't thinking of a Christmas Carol as a fantasy film, uh, Scrooge is a fantasy film. <laughs> I remember. There's a version, I think it's called An American Christmas Carol, that stars Henry Winkler as Scrooge. And I I remember thinking at the time that it was, to me, it felt like a more accessible version of that story than the one that we always associate, you know, the, the George C. Scott one. Right. Um, maybe because it was set a little bit later time period wise. I, I don't th I still don't think it wasn't modern still. It was still, you know, like early 1900s or, or whatever. But um, but it felt a little bit more like like it was put together a little bit better. But um, <clears throat> it's, it's funny that you get all of these different two-hour movies out of that little short story. Because there's really not a whole lot to the actual story itself that Charles Dickens wrote. Well, I mean, it's basically a novella, uh, but you know, there's there's so much that's rich there. There's there's lost love, there's 
time travel. Mm. There's the horror of death. There there's the, the, the fear of being forgotten. Oh. Um, there's the 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 love of a family. There's there's an adorable moppet child. You know, I mean, all these little things that that are are. You know, Dickens was a master of finding the right heartstring to reach out to and go pluck. Yeah. Um, and and yet you can spin it because basically uh, a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life is essentially the same story. I mean, if you if you if you kind of twist it a little bit to, to make it, you know, the you're you're getting the world without you. Sure. And whereas the world without Scrooge was, oh, thank God he's dead. Uh, what an awful person. Um, yeah. You know, you get to see that, you know, the which so that becomes a redemption arc for Scrooge. Weird things to talk about. The Christmas Carol redemption arc. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's a wonderful life is, you know, him him recognizing that he is uh, he is the cause of other people's redemption arc. Well, and and I would say you could probably you could probably argue that he has a sort of a self redemption arc sure. in that story where he sits there and says, you know, my life is worthless. It has no value. It has no meaning. I'm I'm a nobody, and what's the point? And through the course of that story, he learns to value himself. Mm-hmm. Just even in the the simplest of ways to appreciate what he's got, but also to to acknowledge to himself that he has value, which I think is probably something that a lot of people just kind of gloss over. They don't see that part of it, of him realizing his own self-worth as opposed to realizing what he's worth to everybody else. You know, that's what everybody usually talks about. You know, Angel gets his wings, Clarence, you know, whatever, and all of that, and the family, and the brother, and all of this. But people don't generally talk about his internal. Sure. No. Reevaluation. So. Well, and I think that I think that there's a lot of the kind of Christmas stories that involve the poor positive aspects. A lot of them, whether they're they're science fiction, fantasy, or just out side the in the other genres mm-hmm. you you have sort of this idea of um how how what you do for good or for ill affects those around you that's a big part of that kind of storytelling yeah and the the idea that you are worth something is a big part of those stories whether it's to somebody else or to yourself or a combination of them um, it's a you know, and, and so there's an enduring quality to that. That has, you know, it, there's a reason these stories keep getting told and are popular is because we like the kind of story that says, you know, you matter to me, mm-hmm. you know, and that I matter to other people. These are these are you know, these are good messages to hear, um, and sometimes in in all the world, especially now. Um, with where the you know the internet can be a not kind place, the reminder that people care about you and that you have value to your friends, your family, yourself, uh, the people that care about you, um, you know, it's not a bit. It's 
it shouldn't be just Christmas time, but it's a good message to have. <laughs> good message all year round. Yeah. Well, and it's it's funny because um, uh, oh, uh, Robert says here. I I always thought it's a wonderful life as a very American reboot of Christmas Carol with optimism about capitalist and capitalism subversively included. I'm not sure there's so much of a capitalist mentality in there. I mean, mm, I think it's mm, see. There's there, there's a certain amount of the American dream baked into it, which has a certain capitalist bent by the nature of power, financial structure works. Um, but at the same time, the evil capitalist, the evil industrialist, the evil banker. Mm -hmm. um, is a huge part of that. So, I mean, I would say definitely, it, in many ways, it is an Americanized um, version of that kind of story that the Christmas Carol is. Wow. But, um, and I can see how you could you could read some of that in there. Um, but again, the bad guy is the evil capitalist. Um, you know, the, and and shockingly, we, we actually know there are a few. A few capitalists, couple, yeah. couple of, couple of three, couple of three. Speaking of capitalism, Robert sent us an email and uh, has put on display his sci-fi for me mug. Hey, thank you. Since that cool. picture there, that's very cool. Part of that collection. I would be, uh, I would be interested to see what else is sitting as part of that group. But yeah, uh, you know. A character who's a banker is not necessarily, you know, a banker is not necessarily a capitalist. I mean, you do have when I when I think when I hear the word capitalist, I'm thinking an entrepreneur, a business owner, a manager, somebody who, somebody who runs a company as opposed to somebody who works in a bank. Well, but again, a, a bank, uh, somebody like Mr. Potter is not just somebody who works in a bank. He's someone right. who's making exactly. money off the bank. But he owns the bank. He's the business right. owner. He's the one right. what's in charge. So that to me, you know, he's he's more, you know, Rockefeller, Rockefeller Getty, you know, Pulitzer, those, those types, as opposed to, you know, Zach Galligan's character right there in Gremlins, the bank teller with the dog under the under the desk. Sure, right? sure. Now, Gremlins, of course, another Christmas movie. There we go. See, see how I did that. I saw how you did that. I, I, I watched. I watched the gears turn. Smooth. Right? Not fair. <laughs> I've done this a time or two. I love Gremlins. It's, I do it's, too, one of, yeah. it's one of my favorite films. Gremlins is great. It's a. It's a. It's a fun movie in it just in general but also the fact that it's a holiday film mm -hmm. you know it's set around the christmas uh holidays um and and poor mr futterman <laughs> <laughs> poor poor mr poor mrs futterman you know I'm having to listen to mr futterman i don't think it's got the largest body count of ever of any Christmas film by mm. far, but I remember the first time I th saw it, thinking just how violent 
this movie was. And funny. I mean, it's it's yeah. one of those. It's over those, the top violent. Yeah. Yeah. Cartoon I mean, violence. There's a there's an argument to be made that laughing at violence has its place. And in films like Gremlins, it's very much a that is so ridiculous. You have to laugh. Well, it's Bugs uh, Bunny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know it's the, it's that same kind of thing with uh, you know Daffy Duck getting his beak blown off every time you know duck season, rabbit season, duck season, fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but it's 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 hard to pull off that kind of slapstick comedy. There was a time when it was sort of the the mode that a lot of comedic films were in, but in the modern cinema, you don't get a lot of just straight up slapstick. Yeah. And and that is that is a great example of that. Not to mention, it's just a fun story. It's the kind of film that you can sit there and watch. You can watch it with your entire family. Um, there's something there for really young audiences, and it's it's actually pretty safe for a lot of younger audiences who don't get scared easily. Um, you know, it's it's got cute gizmo, but yeah. it's also got the stuff for the adult audience and the you know the folks who are are going to get some of the nuance and the humor. Um, it's a lot of. I mean, it's just a fun movie. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to make a connection here that probably is going to mark me as somewhat twisted. <clears throat> All right, so Phoebe Kate's character, she doesn't celebrate Christmas. And if I'm remembering right, now correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm remembering right, the reason she doesn't celebrate Christmas is cuz dad's dad dressed up as Santa Claus, right? And went down the chimney to surprise everybody. He got stuck, right? I believe so, yes. Now, wasn't... I don't know if anybody has made this connection yet or not, but I but I think that this particular incident was memorialized in a, in a, in a Phil Rivers song called There's Something Stuck Up in the Chimney. <laughs> is that... Is... is <laughs> Are we talking about the same thing here? <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, that'd be really funny. There, there's your there's your crossover fiction there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, Wold Newton says that everything's connected anyway. Exactly. So there we go. By the way, we've got some viewers over on our Twitch channel. Hello and welcome, and thanks for for watching. Uh, we're we're. Making some plans and schemes to expand our presence over there on Twitch. So uh, good to have you along tonight. And uh, yeah, yeah, something stuck up in the chimney, and I don't know what it is. Uh, uh, I, I I just caught it, and it was in the background of something else. And there was some commercial where you see all these people sitting around dressed in red. I'm sure it was for a clothing line or something, or uh-huh. Or whatever, whatever thing they're advertising this holiday season, and there's two legs dangling uh, from the <laughs> fireplace. <laughs> and I was looking at it going, I don't even know what this is, but I'm pretty sure that I'm laughing uh, because it's just a funny visual. Yeah. Um, now, Santa Claus uh, has been the victim in several films. Um, of course, um, I'm not sure that you'd necessarily call well. Okay, the Tim Allen Santa Claus films are probably you could you could fantasy. file them under fantasy. Yeah. Um, but the British author Terry Pratchett uh, had a novel called Hogfather. It's one of his Discworld series books, and there was a movie adaptation probably around ten years ago, I think. 
Um, and it is basically um, the hog, the hog father, which is basically the Discworld's ver- version of Santa Claus. And um, an assassin is hired to kill the hog father and basically to steal his magic for, or to destroy the, the image of the hog father, the symbol of hope. Uh, and so the character of death, who is a recurring character in the Terry Pratchett Discworld books, right. um, steps in. And so the Grim Reaper becomes Santa Claus. It is very, very funny and very, very sweet. And there's an incredibly powerful speech at the end, um, which is done beautifully in, in the, uh, the, the, the film. And but is really powerful on the page where he talks about the power of belief and how belief makes us human. How that the, you know, if you if you. Belief gives us the ability to develop big ideas like truth and justice, love, these things that you cannot find. There's no actual evidence for these things in the natural world. You can't, you know, if you if you take apart an atom, you're not going to find justice. If you take apart, you know, uh, you know, there, there's there's all these different things where the, some of this stuff comes from inside us. It comes in from our minds, from and and a lot of that comes out of belief and, right. and faith and whatever it is that you believe, whatever your whatever your your religious beliefs. At the core, there's this idea. Um, how well it's how well it's managed depends on the humans, but there's this idea that love and truth and justice are good things that we should all be striving for. Um, and so there's this great speech that Death basically sits there and says, "This is why we believe in things like the Hog Father or Santa Claus." Or so it's basically a "Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus" uh, sure. speech. But it's it's done in this world in this way that, that Terry Pratchett made a, a career out of writing funny novels that made you think about things. And you get to the end and go, curse you, Terry Pratchett, you made me think again. <laughs> You've caused me to ask questions of myself. But he was he was brilliant at it. Um, but it's a fun, fun, fun book. It's very funny because of course there's a slapstick possibilities of death wearing a hat, you know, wearing the hat with a little ball on and, and sure. going ho ho ho. Um, but the movie's very entertaining as well. Um, it is a, it leans into the, the idea of, of the darker, more older sides of the Santa Claus story. Mm-hmm. So more of the nature God kind of thing. That some of the origins of, of the celebrations of, of Christmas can come out of. Um, and it, it certainly is not your traditional Christmas story. But it's it's really really good, and I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen the film, I believe it's on Amazon. I think if you got like Amazon Prime, or you can find it on DVD and Blu-ray and that sort of thing. But um, it's one of the better adaptations of Terry Pratchett's stories into uh, film, and there's sort of a hit and miss with his books. Um, sure, but I highly recommend it. I remember, <coughs> excuse me, when. Uh... Uh, mid 80s um, and I remember being in Arkansas visiting family and my cousin and I were talking about some different things and um, 
there was a movie that came out around then, and my cousin wanted to see it, and I had no interest in seeing it. It was called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, yeah. It was a Christmas horror film. Right, yes. Um, Which is actually a fairly entertaining Christmas horror film. It's not a great movie. Um, Now, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, as I recall, spent the first, like, 35, 40 minutes basically showing clips from the first movie. Right. It's not a good sequel. Um, <laughs> but um, there was a whole period of, there's a period of time when you had the anthology horror films where you'd get, um, and I cannot for the life remember what it was, but in, in junior high, they would show us, uh, like around holidays, we would get like a movie afternoon at the school. <clears throat> and so they'd take us into the auditorium, they'd play some movie. And around Halloween, they showed us one of these. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, this was the you know, this was the eighties. <laughs> so it's a different time. This is back um, before we had safe spaces. And uh, uh, most most of my friends' kids right now who are of the age to enjoy that kind of thing would be no. basically like, "Show it to me in school." Um, but there was I remember being actually quite. The, there was a Christmas episode in one of these where basically the, and it's the standard, it's, it, this has been in several different t- versions of this story have made it out there. Crazy person escapes from the mental institution, kills a Santa Claus, puts on the suit, goes right. in. And the kid sits there, sits there and says, you know, um, look, mom, it's Santa. And, you know, death and destruction ensues. Um, but I remember watching it going, Why? How dumb is this child? Um, <laughs> but there's all there's quite a bit of that. There's there's a there's a tradition of you know we talked about the the the, con- the contrasting aspects of, of horror and comedy. Yeah. But um, you know, a Nightmare Before Christmas is the same thing. You know, it's basically the contrast between the horror, the scary sides of Halloween. And the uplifting positive sides of Christmas, you put them in a blender and you end up with this thing that's like, you know, uh, a little, little terrifying if it's done right. Um, yeah. And it's one of those, you know, both a, a film like A Night Before Christmas obviously is a fantasy film. Um, and a lot of, I know some people tend to lean into the idea of it being a Halloween movie, and it certainly has that, but it's definitely got the same thing. It's also a Christmas movie. I would say probably outside of the horror realm, any any regular Christmas movie, if it involves anything having to do with, you know, Santa or the elves or reindeer or whatever, all of those things are going to be fantasies. Well. Which means Ernest Saves Christmas is a genre film. You know, we have relatives we don't talk about. <laughs> And I think that applies here. Speaking of belief, Robert says the belief in money is arguably the most powerful belief ever conceived. Billions of humans controlled by the belief imaginary numbers on a sheet are worth something. Yes and no. Because at one point, when we had the gold standard, money actually did have an intrinsic value that's not just 
we believe it has value. It actually did have value because you can take that money in to the gold exchange and you can say, I would like gold in exchange for this piece of paper. And they would. It was guaranteed. When we went off of the gold standard, that's when you start, you know, assigning value to this paper. And there is a belief that it has value because it, you, you're told it has value. The problem, the problem with that, though, is that prior to that, we made the exact same thing for this golden lump of ore that we decided was a valuable thing, even though intrinsically, up until the advent of a using it for technology, it really didn't have any real value aside from the fact it was pretty and it sparkled nice. And it was rare. Well, it, it wasn't was, something you just you just turned over was, the ground. Yeah. We thought it was rare. Turns out it's not as rare as people thought it was. But the thing is, is that anytime you, it, it, and that's the way it's been with any kind of monetary system, is that yeah. you assign a value to a thing. So the idea that the gold standard had any more relative value than than making up numbers, except that we were doing that with the gold too. Um, it's 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 nice to sit there and go, it was well, a physical to a thing. Po- to a point, but the gold you had the you had the gold shiny thing that was right there. But, but we also, and yes, you're assigning a value to it, but. It's but the same the same kind of the mental exercise you have to make to for us all to agree that we've assigned that the gold is worth something and it's worth the same thing. We all agree on what it's worth is the same thing you're doing with the concept of money. And bear in mind that money is not new. Money is not new to the uh, discovery of gold. You go back a few thousand plus years and everybody has a system of trade. It's it's there's some you know pros and cons to assigning it to a specific thing. The problem is, is that the specific thing, you know, pick something that's actually rare. Gold's not it. Common sense. What's the what's Can't the dollar that, value? <laughs> um, speaking, of, speaking of common sense, um, we've talked a lot about films um, and a little bit about books. There's a book by Christopher Moore who is a American fantasist. Uh, he writes a lot of very funny fantasy novels, mm-hmm. uh, most of them set in the modern day, some historicals. Um, he has one that is part of his, his... A lot of his books have a loose connection to them, each other. Um, but one of them is called The Stupidest Angel. <laughs> and it's basically the story of a young boy who sees a guy dressed as Santa being murdered. And he thinks that Santa has been killed. And so he prays that, you know, God will save Santa. And unfortunately, the angel who's listening is not terribly bright. And so he comes down and stands in front of the dead Santa and says, arise and feast this Christmas night. Unfortunately, <laughs> behind the Santa is a graveyard. And so it's basically Christmas invasion of the zombies, um, all caused by a young boy just hoping for a good thing and an angel who was not the most observant of entities. It's very funny. And it's exactly what you would expect a Christmas <laughs> zombie apocalypse to be. But now if you want the movie version of that, uh, Anna and the Apocalypse. Yeah, uh, which is, yeah, which is very funny, um, but also has that grimness of the zombie picture that you want. And if you're burnt out on zombies, 
it's a great way to enjoy a zombie film um, and still be, it's still okay to be burnt out on, on zombies if you want to be. Right. Because it's it's funny and sweet and sad and, and all the things that a good musical should be um, with zombies. So I think zombies are played out for quite a while. I, the problem with zombies, I think, and, and as somebody, you know, Dustin and I still review the Walking Dead universe stuff. The problem with, with zombies, I think, is that zombies really work best when they are a metaphor for something else. Um, whether it's disease or, you know, go into, you know, the idea of consumerism or all the different things that zombies have been used as, an, as a metaphor for or, or something to, to, you know, make a point with. Yeah. Once they just become a generic monster. I mean, Dustin and I, and I did the math a few years ago about how, you know, a relatively competent small group of, of soldiers could basically start at New York City and start working their way th- across the country um, and, you know, start disposing of the undead, uh, you know, because after a certain point, they don't make any more of them. You're going to yeah. run out of people. And most, you know, and most people can outrun a zombie unless it's a fast-running zombie, in which case it's a whole different movie. Um <laughs> Sorry, folks. Fast-moving zombies are a different genre. They're they're there's not they're not really zombies. I don't care if they're dead or not. Um, that's a whole other topic. But um, yeah, I mean, and the thing is, is that when when you if you want to make them fresh, you have to combine them with something new, like and in the apocalypse does, um, because otherwise, at this point, and The Walking Dead is doing a whole lot of has been doing for a long time that the humans are the real monsters, right? Right. And there's certainly stories to tell that that can be the thing, but you have to do more than that. Otherwise it becomes, it's like, yes, okay, I get it. We're awful. I knew that you're not telling me anything new. (laughs) Um, And so you have to, you know, you have to try and do new stuff with it. So um, now the good news is, is that, in holiday films, you don't get a lot of when you're supposed to, even when you're leaning into horror in the holidays, um, you know, you don't get a whole like, and it's the fifth year in the row of a zombie horror Christmas movie. You don't get a lot of that, which is nice. Um, now, this doesn't mean you can't play it out poorly. Um, you know, we mentioned the Krampus movies. Moving to the science fiction side of thing, Santa Claus versus the Martians. Widely oh, yeah. regarded as one of the worst films ever made, but if you can find the MST3K commentary <laughs> for it, it's a blast to watch over the holidays because it's so bad. Um, yeah, Robert says he's over for zombies. Over zombies for now. He goes through phases: King Arthur, vampires, alternate world wars, zombies. Looking for a new genre niche to dive into. So um, well, Robert. I mean, I would say you know if you haven't checked out the Discworld books, Robert, I encourage you. They are um, they are a fantasy series that plays with the idea of fantasy series, mm-hmm. um, and they're all, I think they're extremely well written and extremely uh, beautifully done. Um, another another one is uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern. Sure, which oh, yeah. is fantasy slash science fiction. It's it's fantasy to start with, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it turns. It takes a hard left turn into science fiction further into it. 
Um, And then, of course, the Honor Harrington books. I will always recommend Honor Harrington stuff. Um, If you want to try, if you want to dive into something that's a little more um, darker, basically think Lord of the Rings only in a modern, darker setting. Um, The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. This is an uh, Stephen Donaldson uh, basically loved the. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, and but didn't see anybody doing the kind of fantasy world building mm. that Tolkien was doing, and he knew he couldn't do the same thing, but he uh, he, he thought he'd give it a shot. Um, and they are, I think there's nine or ten books in the series, and it's done. The film, the series is done. Um, but you could just read the first three and be, and finish. Yeah. You could read the second three and finish. Um, you know, but. Um, Dark, 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 grim, grim story, but really satisfying. I mean, I really enjoy it. It's one, it's one of my favorite fantasy series. But you have to get over the fact in the first book that your hero is a monster. I mean, he's a terrible human being. Um, and his redemption arc uh, over the first three books and beyond is really satisfying. But it's a, the first book is rough for a lot of people, and I understand a lot of people stop there. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those series that it's like, stick with it because you'll be rooting for Covenant by the end, but it's hard to root for him at the beginning. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, and that's, that's one of the things is when you get a good, a good story or a good author can tell a story where you're, you're presented with someone who is not sympathetic and still make you care about them or engage you enough to get past that. And that's a tough thing to do. And, and I think, I think uh, Donaldson does a really good job. Yeah. Um, you don't see, and to some degree, you know, holiday films or, or holiday stories tend to, to play a little bit. They tend to go for a more of a simplistic kind of thing because they're trying to get a, an emotion across that's, that's hopefully uplifting. Right. Uh, sometimes a little sad Arthur C. Clarke, one of the great short stories, uh, Christmas short stories, that is not an uplifting story. Um, although there was a Twilight Zone adaptation that makes it a little less uh, grim. Uh, his short story, The Star, um, which is an amazing um, gut punch of a story. Uh, science fiction, it's uh, uh, basically the story of a of a, a ship that discovers the, the an archive of a, of a lost race and its connections to the nativity story are not the most uh, uh, warm and fuzzy, um, no. but, but it's a powerful, powerful short story. It came out, I think in 56, 1956. Um, and it can, you can find it in a ton of different uh, collections. Um, but it's it's a very it's a very emotional story uh, told from the story point of view of a, of a of a you know a very religious man, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of short story there, there's more short story science fiction uh, and fantasy genre stuff out there for the holidays than you would necessarily think. Um, I went just digging around a little bit online, and. Uh, some of these names you might recommend. Uh, D- Duncan Shields um, wrote a uh, short story called Spider. Um, uh, Connie Willis, uh, who did the Doomsday Book, uh, All Seated on the Ground. Uh, Robert Charles Wilson did Julian, a Christmas story. 
China Melville did uh, Tis the Season. There's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of this is contemporary. Yeah. And um, if you are interested in that sort of stuff, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, Alan Dean Foster did Swamp Planet Christmas. Um, Gene Wolfe did The War Beneath the Tree, which I read and I was did not. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of different stuff out there. Um, yeah, uh, 20, what, 10, 20, 30? There's like 40 different collections that the star is in. Um, and uh, so it's a, it was a very influential um, a short story for a lot of a lot of science fiction editors who thought yeah. it was worth including. Um, wow. There's just a lot of stuff out there. If you if you are a short story reader, and if you're not a short story reader, you should be. There's still there's still authors producing great short stories. Um, we tend to think of the novels and we tend to think of the movies as and the comic book as the way this, you know, this storytelling gets across. But the short story has not died. Yeah. You know, Neil Gaiman is still putting out short stories all the time. Stephen King is still writing uh, short stories. A lot of well-known authors have a have a short story. That you know, you can find whether they whether it's published in a magazine or online or or their own collections. There's a lot of stuff out there, and I think that the big novels tend obviously. I mean, I don't think I know the big novels overshadow the short stories, and we've seen you know the the history of the short story in science fiction and its influence in science fiction. Yeah, it's huge, and you can't leave that aside. Um, you know, there's. Uh, Oh, for heaven's sakes, Ray Bradbury's, uh, it's one of Ray Bradbury's Mars stories is a Christmas story. Um, I can't think of what it's called. <coughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's there's it's so a, much. It's a, Marsh, it's a Mars, like Martian Chronicles part? I can't remember if it's part of the Martian Chronicles or not. I don't remember a Christmas piece being in that set. It it may not be. It may be another one of his more just tangential. Mm. Um, oh, I cannot think of what it's called. But it's basically a, a father and a son on a on a spaceship, and they can't bring along a Christmas tree. Oh, okay, that sounds familiar. I cannot think of what it's called. I don't. I I don't um, know. Robert but, uh, Robert uh, in the chat says that um, science fiction right now is uh, affected by bloat. There's too much too much out there that's not very good i i would guess is what he's what he means well that's certainly i think uh, again I, again i think we come back to something that we have so many choices for entertainment same thing with platforms mm. this has always been the case by the way um we just the it's a scalable thing there was plenty of bad science fiction coming out in the era where it was all coming out in in you know the the magazine form. You know you get your collection, you get your Isaac Asimov magazine and, and whatever, right. you know, amazing stories, whatever. There were there were plenty of magazines that were coming out, uh, collections that were coming out that were, you know, the asylum versions of these things. Even then, um, there were there has always been a place for bad science fiction uh, and bad fantasy and bad, bad storytelling in general. There's always been a market for it, and some people have have enjoyed it. I mean that's it's a thing. Um, but when you only had 10 of them, yeah. you know, um, now that we have the internet and we have the publishing world that it is and a worldwide audience, because again, remember that, um, for a large part, even a large part of the 20th century, which was only 20 years ago, 
um, a lot of that stuff, you didn't get outside the borders of your country, whatever your country was. Wow. You know, you, you didn't get a lot of the, the fact that you could actually get British books in the 1980s was a big deal. You know, getting 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 a copy of the British edition of a Doctor Who book was like a thing, and they were like twice as much as the regular paperback. Right. Well, or you had uh, what the first Harry Potter book had a different title overseas. Sure. Um, yeah. Philosopher's Stone, I think, is what right. it was. Mm -hmm. No. And, and the only reason, it, and the reason it was changed for American audiences was because the American publishers didn't think American audiences were smart enough to know what the Philosopher's Stone was. <laughs> and I don't know that They I may not be wrong. Argue, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. for good or for ill, they changed the title and how much they uh, j misjudged or judged correctly the the grand audiences. Of, you know. But hey, yeah. um, let's face it, um, a significant chunk of the American box office, you know, American audiences paid for paid for those sequels. Um, so, you know, and I, I believe, I believe that, uh, JK Rowling, uh, now has all the money she would ever particularly need. So I think she's good. I think, I think we're okay there. She should buy one of our mugs. Dear JK Rowling. I know. Right. <coughs> Speaking of, uh, uh, Christmas and science fiction, we haven't really touched very much on the Doctor Who episodes. Oh yeah, you know, the Christmas specials, right? And and that was something that there was. I think there were two episodes in the original series that were set around the holidays. Um, so it wasn't really a big thing with the original series. It became a big thing when it came back. Mm -hmm. um, and so you had up until up until the the thirteenth Doctor, um, and then the thirteenth Doctor basically did it as the New Year's episode. So they're still staying on a holiday. It's just not the Christmas holiday. Right. Um, and there have been a variety of good Christmas episodes of Doctor Who and bad Christmas episodes of Doctor Who. Like you uh, do. Because uh, um, I think, I think uh, certainly the idea of Christmas trees coming to life and trying to kill you, um, you know, the... The Autons Killing You at Christmas, um, you know, was was done a couple of different times. Wow. And and David Tennant certainly had, uh, uh, you know, some fun around the holidays. But then you also got uh, maybe uh, Doctor Who's a Christmas Carol. It was a little heavy-handed. <laughs> a little not subtle. Um, you know, and they're... But there, but it, but it was kind of it's kind of a it was a tradition for a while, you know, and and it'll probably come back. I think that that the New Year's the New Year's Eve thing is is you know the New Year's Day thing is perfectly fine. I have no issues with that, and you know, uh, aside from the fact that you know there's a year gap in between, you know, seasons, um, which again, you and I are old enough to remember when that was a real thing. Oh sure, yeah. And well, now it was, it's just you know. No. It's being whiny. It's being a little whiny now. Oh no, I have to wait for a year. Well, yeah. <laughs> 1987. We found out we had to wait for a longer than that. Exactly. So, um, and well, and and certainly, um, 
certainly there were uh, a lot of TV shows have leaned into the Christmas episode. Um, certainly Star Wars did. Um, we cannot we cannot talk about Christmas things and not discuss the Star Wars Christmas special. This is the way. That's right. Um, and we could make this a very short conversation by saying, God, it was awful. But it gave us Boba Fett. Yes. And um, and and it gave us Life Day. Yes. Uh, and the rifle that Boba Fett uses in that in that short animated clip, that and Life Day both have appeared in the Mandalorian. So. Yes. So so it's sadly, canon. It's, it's canon. canon. It's yeah. canon. Yeah. For, um, but oh wow, it's it's not good. It's not good. Well, you know, George Lucas always said he thought that the future of Star Wars was in television. He was ahead of his time. Nobody was ready for it. And so they didn't no, know what no to do one, with it. We're still not ready for it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, You know, The Mandalorian is probably one of the better pieces no, of no, Star saying, Wars lore ever. So I'm saying we're not ready for the, the Star Wars. Holiday, Holiday Special. Well, you hear Favreau wants to make a new one. Well, you know, I, I, based on the track record, I'd say um, he'd, he'd do pretty well. I'd say there's a chance, yeah. but I think guilt by association is a, uh, a, a the a, holiday a special here. part two. <laughs> revenge? No, it's revenge of the holiday special. <laughs> the holiday special strikes back. There you go. There you the go. Phantom that's the, holiday special. That's what it is. That's what it is. Uh, Black Adder's Christmas, Robert right. says, is the his favorite British Christmas tale. That is great. It is incredibly funny, Robert. That's an excellent uh, recommendation. If you have not seen, if you have not seen the Black Adder series, it's something you should check out. If you're only familiar with Rowan Atkinson as Mister Bean or as some bumbling figure in a British comedy movie, um, Black Adder is that in his stand-up. His stand-up is hysterical. Um, he's got an absolutely great stand-up of the uh, the devil welcoming people to hell. Um, or, or as, or as you can call me, Toby, um, <laughs> and it's very, very funny. Or his uh, somewhat murderous schoolmaster explaining how uh, he's very disappointed to the father of one of his students that he's very disappointed in his behavior now, his son's behavior now that he's dead. Um, and uh, but now the Black Adder series uh, is very, very funny. Uh, it's set across various different time periods, um, and culminated with Black Adder goes forth. Although there were there were some special episodes after. I think the Christmas episode, Robert, maybe you can remind me. Um, the Christmas episode, the Christmas special, came after Black Adder goes forth, I believe. Uh, but Black Adder's goes goes forth is set during World War One and has one of the certainly for British audiences one of the most iconic endings of a TV show in, in television history. Mm. We talk about we talk about the final episode of MASH yeah. or the final episode of Friends or the final episode of The Sopranos or all these different things where the you know you for good or for, whether you like them or not final episode of Lost, you know, that that get reactions out of people. Mm -hmm. Um and while a lot of British historians had issues with um, Black Adder Goes Forth, to which the cast and crew reminded them 
it's a comedy show. Um, the final episode is, is iconic television, uh, certainly for a lot of British audiences. Um, and if you've never seen it, check it out. It's, it's a great program. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the Christmas special is really funny. It's all really funny. Um, Rowan Atkinson is the master of the sarcastic comment. Um, you know, I, I believe one of the lines is, that's one of the worst ideas I've ever heard said, Mr., said since Mr. Lincoln turned to Mrs. Lincoln and said, hey, honey, let's take in a show. <laughs> that's the kind of snark that you would get out of, of this. And it's it's wonderfully dark British comedy. Wow. Isn't all British comedy dark? Well, so the difference between American comedy and British comedy, I think, and this is, I'm simplifying here largely, but the two basic schools of thought here are American comedy is about violence, the pratfall, right? Sure. British comedy is about embarrassment. I can see that. Yep. And if you look at a lot of Monty Python and a lot of, you know, Faulty Towers, Monty Python, The Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin, um, Blackadder, uh, just a lot of a lot of these classic, iconic uh, Benny Hill, um, any of this stuff at its core it's all about being horribly, horribly embarrassed. <laughs> and it's great stuff. It's great stuff. And, and thank you to PBS um, for running all of this stuff when I was, a, a, you know, in my, in my early teens because you warped me for life, and I thank you for it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so what else? What what other what other Christmas genre Christmas stories are out there? I know we've we've touched on a, a good number of them, but well, interestingly enough, I found this list that I thought was very curious because there were things on here I had a forgotten about and b would not think of. Yeah. Terry Gilliam's Brazil, uh, basically Monty Python meets uh, George Orwell's Nineteen Eighty Four. Right. Um, it's a very surreal, Jonathan Price is the star. It's a very dark, surreal, not necessarily happy movie. Um, it's set at Christmas time. It's, I, uh, okay. And it is arguably, it's definitely a fantasy movie. No. Um, so I don't know if I can recommend it for watching with the family around Christmas. Because <laughs> depends on, on what you're, do you want to depress everyone? I mean, it's a great film, but it's not an upbeat Picture. Yeah, you know, I have started to see uh, people posting online. We mentioned Krampus earlier. That is starting to become a family tradition, watching a Krampus movie every <laughs> year. Hey, you know, watching bad films together with the family, there's something to be said for that. I suppose. Or, you know, well, and, and hey, I'm, I'm all in favor, especially if it's the first Krampus film that really was pretty decent. That you could actually have this, you know, getting together and watching a horror film with the family mm -hmm. or even a moderately scary film uh, with the family. As a horror fan, I can't I can't disagree with that. Or the Grinch. Now, the Grinch, I mean, Grinch is a monster. It's a fantasy. Oh, sure. So. Um, now, <coughs> and I would take I would take the cartoon over the the live action film. Any day of the week, the original, the Boris Karloff. Sure, sure. Not and, the and, not the one with Cumberbatch. Right. No. And and yeah, I mean the. I like Benedict Cumberbatch. He's a fantastic actor. He's done some great work, but he's no Boris Karloff. No. Uh, Children of Men is a 
it's not, I don't I don't recall it actually being set up around Christmas time, but Children of Men is the Alfonso Corazon uh, uh, Coran sorry, uh, uh, dystopian future right movie about you know uh, mankind basically we we're not able to have children anymore and so the species is in danger of dying out. It's a it's a story about basically saving the last woman the, the first woman who's been able to have a child. Um, and basically, so it's in some ways, it's a savior of humanity story. So if you're looking for a message, I mean, it's not a Christmas movie exactly. No. But on one of these lists, somebody made up, I thought it was a pretty impressive argument for it's the story of a birth of a savior figure. And so it's like, okay, sure. I mean, it, it, it fits the theme. It's not, it doesn't have a religious angle aside from certainly this young, this baby when it grows up is certainly going to be probably going to develop a following um just for the fact that we have one it's a baby yay um but it's a it's an incredible movie i highly recommend the film it's got some beautiful beautiful cinematography and a great single shot tracking thing there's a great car chase i mean it's shot incredibly well Um, and fantastic performances from everybody involved um but it is uh, it's not a happy movie um but it's a better film. It's a better. It's got a better ending than the book does. I'm not going to spoil it for you, folks. But the book's ending is. Let's just say I highly recommend the film. Um, <laughs> and the book is perhaps uh, a little dark at the ending. Uh, Iron Man Three is a Christmas movie. Yes, yes it is. Um, interestingly enough, it is directed by Shane Black. Uh, who also did uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is also a Christmas movie, um, which was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, oh no, I just do a complete blank. This is terrible. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Uh, and it's actually would, one of my favorite favorite Christmas movies too. Yeah, I was going to say Brad Pitt, but I knew that wasn't right. <clears throat> no, no. Um, we mentioned Edward Scissors. Did we mention Edward Scissors Hands? I don't, I don't think, think we have. Did. No, not yet. Um, now we have. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie uh, set in the holidays. Um, it's kind of a modern take on Frankenstein, if you want to think about it that way. Kind of, yeah. Um, and um, it's it's Tim Burton really being at his most fairy tale like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and however you feel about Johnny Depp, now, and I'm talking more about his performance stuff, I'm leaving aside anything with his personal life. You know, the, there's a lot of people who could argue that he's kind of gotten in the habit of playing the ridiculous, over-the-top character that's all Captain Jack all the time. Right, right. Um, but back here in Edward Scissorhands, this was very much somebody who, I mean, he was a chameleon as an actor. Uh, and and I think it really is a, a, a very beautiful, well-made fairy tale film. The most unrealistic thing Thing in the, the well, I think the most unrealistic element of Edward Scissorhands for me is a blonde Winona Ryder. <laughs> just doesn't Actually, work. I just can't buy it. I'm just, I'm pretty sure that <clears throat> Twisted Toy Fair Theater did it, uh, and I can't remember, but it was basically because literally. He has, for those of you who haven't seen the film, shockingly, scissors for hands, hence the name. Um, the fact that he didn't like leave a 
trail of, of stabbed to death bodies. Uh, but it was basically like uh, <clears throat> Edward Scissorhands directed by Sam, directed by Sam Peckinpah. Um, <laughs> for who, those of you who don't, who've never seen a Sam Peckinpah film, they're very violent. Yeah. And, and um, there's a great Monty Python bit where basically it was an English garden party as directed by Sam Peckinpah. And mm-hmm. every time somebody moved, somebody got fatally injured. It's like playing tennis and like a tennis ball puts a guy's eye out and the, the keyboard on the piano chops off the guy's hands. It's just and blood splurts everywhere. It's so over the top. Um, but yeah, Edward's hand is done by Sam Peckinpah. It's like stab. Oh no. It's like, I'm so sorry. Stab. Oh dear. <laughs> you know, it's, um, but it's, yeah, it, it's a, it's a very entertaining film. And, and I think honestly, for me, Tim Burton, I think Big Fish, I think, was the last of his fairy tale movies, really. And up until that point, he did a really, really good job, I think, of of giving us um, modern, sort of modern fairy tale stories that we weren't getting from other directors. There was a time, I think, and, you know, all power to everything he wants to do, but I think that, that really... Edward Scissorhands comes out in that period of time when he was actually producing these really kind of, of um, beautiful modern fairy tales. I think also, too, that um, at, at some point, you you look at Tim Burton's career, you look at Johnny Depp, you look at somebody like a Will Ferrell, or um, <clears throat> even, shoot, I mean, the, the new Top Gun trailer just came out you look at somebody like tom cruise or or john wayne eventually these actors are playing themselves and in the case of tim burton tim burton is now at a point in his career i think where tim burton is imitating tim burton you know it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's He's not innovating so much as he's just recycling. Well, I Maybe think in some, some ways he was he was very innovative on his own, but he was he was the only person who was telling those kinds of stories. And now, because we have all these different platforms, all these different opportunities, the people who have picked up the Tim Burton baton. Mm. Um, have run it off into a lot of different kinds of places. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Um, you can almost see a, Tim, uh, a, a connection between the early Tim Burton stuff and, I mean, del Toro certainly is much more of the fantastical horrific. No. You know, and he, and he certainly, he's got a big, he's got a much bigger love for the grotesque and for monsters in general. But you can certainly see that a lot of, I mean, even del Toro's kind of, he, he loves leaning into the, the more fairy tale mythical aspects of things. Um, and I think that, you know, he takes it from the darker side, but you have to remember, of course, that a lot of our fairy tales have really dark beginnings. Oh yeah. Oh, um, yeah. the, uh, I hear I, there's a new, uh, it's a horror film coming out called, uh, Gretel and Hansel. I remember reading someone complaining about how, you know, horror films, you know, trying to, to you know, take these beloved children's stories, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> you have clearly not read, not read the, the original. Yeah, you know, and there's, and we we forget, we forget because we the sanitized versions, the Disneyfied versions. Yeah, yeah. And you forget that that stories like 
you know, Snow White and and uh, Cinderella. This Cinderella involved this. The earlier versions involved chopping off the heel of people's feet mm-hmm. and their toes so they could fit into the slipper. Mm-hmm. So the slipper is full of blood. Yeah. Yay! Sure. Um, and the the stepsisters and the mother do not end the story well. It was a fairly big thing when it was. It, it was kind of this weird big thing in the was it the eighties, I think when we got you know Neil Gaiman and, and a handful of other sci, uh, fantasy authors were kind of all seemed to hit it on at the same time where they sort of leaned back into the nightmare of of the fairy tale. Yeah, and um, uh, I can't remember what the Stephen King. Uh, no, it wasn't Stephen King. Um, uh, Gaiman wrote one. Stardust? Hmm? Stardust? Oh, well, Rose. Stardust, Stardust, but the short story uh, where it's told from the point of view of the evil stepmother. Right. And how Snow White was a vampire. And how the evil stepmother basically is, you know, she's she's the ordinary person just trying to get by while the nightmare that is her new stepdaughter is destroying everything around her. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly... Uh, Quite a bit of that in there in in the in the, the leaning into the fairy tales. Um, there is, and I was gonna. I was Neil Gaiman wrote a Christmas story that he sent out as a Christmas card to his friends, and it made it out into the world. And it is it shows up every every Christmas season. Uh, speaking of fairy tales and Neil Gaiman, um, I will now read you this short story because it is literally like. 200 words. Um, Maybe not even that much. It's called Nicholas Was. Uh, Nicholas was older than sin and his beard could grow no whiter. He wanted to die. The dwarfish natives of the Arctic caverns did not speak his language, but conversed in their own twittering tongue, conducting incomprehensible rituals when they were not actually working in the factories. Once a year, they forced him sobbing and protesting into the endless night. During the journey, he would stand near every child in the world, leaving one of the dwarves invisible gifts by by its bedside. The children slept, frozen in time. Mm. He envied Prometheus and Loki, Sisyphus and Judas. His punishment was harsher. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) That's the entire thing. And, and, And it plays on a number of things. The original Nicholas, the Saint Nicholas, right. historically was not a particularly nice person. Um, and there's these all these different, you know, the, the you know, again, going back to the fairy tale idea of, of going back to the origins and recognizing that, you know, maybe he wouldn't end have ended up the uh, benevolent, wise, kind figure. Um, but what if this was, you know, what if this was a punishment that, that the children benefited from? Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, and and there's an there are animated versions of this uh, online you can you can find which are very creative. There's some very very talented people who have done some animated cuts of it. But um, can you imagine your your friends with a world famous fantasy author and you get a Christmas card from him and you open it up and it's like, geez, Neil. <laughs> on one hand this is really well done but on the other hand geez yeah. neil <laughs> all right well i think we will 
wrap it up there for this evening. We have to get ready and and dig our way out of the of the driveway because tomorrow we are seeing a movie before it comes out this weekend. Um, I I I I don't I don't get to go with you for that one, but I have a friend of mine who has bought out a theater. Oh, that'll be fun. Because it's her birthday. That'll be fun. And so I get to go to a free screening uh, for a friend's birthday on the 20th. Very cool. All right. Uh, and, uh, and this is the invitation because That's she's really cool. So. Yeah. So we've got, we've got that to prepare for. Um, I'm also uh, working on a couple of things here to, to get ready for that and uh, other things. And, of course, we're not going to do spoilers. We won't do, we won't do that. Well, somebody will have a review of the movie this weekend. Without spoilers. Right. Um, and then, of course, we'll be talking about it in depth, probably with spoilers, on the next Ranker Pit, which is going to be on the 27th. So, uh, and probably other places as well, I'm sure, yeah, just because it is what it is. It's Star yes. Wars. It's the cultural thing that it is. It'll probably bleed over into some of our other shows. And so now Star Wars are Christmas movies because they come out in December. Right? Um, i tell you what. Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this evening. And we're not, as far as I can tell right now, I don't think we're going to actually take a winter break so much on this show. Um, do we want to come back next week and, and talk I'll about I'll tell you what, uh, I, my, my instinct is to say yes. Some of it's going to depend on my travel plans next week. Okay. All right, so um, we may take a break. I, I, I may be leaving as early as Monday. Okay. Robert says we have inspired him to have a couple of friends over to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special. You're welcome. <laughs> it works. There we go. Sure. You're I, welcome. If, if we have inspired someone to take an action, then, you know, I, we've accomplished uh, something, uh, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, but it depends on the action. <laughs> Well, we hope you, if you, if you, I presume you've seen it before, and if you haven't, uh, I, we hope you have a good time with it. Yeah, it's 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 fun if you watch it the right way. Yes, yes, yes. and and the animation, the Boba Fett introduction <laughs> animation thing is, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. So. All right, thanks very much for watching, folks. Don't forget, uh, have uh, have your notifications turned on. Make sure you're still subscribed because YouTube likes to play with that algorithm. Uh, give us a thumbs up if you are so inclined and share this with your friends. And we do wish all of you a happy holiday. And uh, if you're going to see Star Wars, enjoy. We hope, maybe. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And, uh, and we will be back with another episode of these 2 podcast very soon. Good night. Good night, folks. Copyright 2019.